mention at the beginning of the pilgrim's progress, there is a dialogue between Christian, obstinate, and pliable. And it goes as follows. Obstinate asks Christian, What are the things you seek for which you are willing to live the whole world in order to find them? I seek an incorruptible inheritance which cannot be defiled, nor wither, said Christian. It is up in the heavens, and any man who diligently seeks it will receive it. Read this book, and you will understand. Bah, said Obstinate, away with your book. Will you come back with us or not? No, replied Christian. I have already put my hand to the plow, and I will not turn back. The happiness and glory I spoke of are real. If you do not believe me, read what is written in this book. Every word is true. The writer of this book shed his blood as a guarantee. This conversation between Christian and obstinate illustrates well our passage from tonight. As Christian committed to following the words of evangelists, so believers themselves are committed to a race of faith in which they believe the scriptures in general in the gospel in particular. However, this is not a simple race. Far from it. It is a marathon and believers may find difficulties, objections, temptations, obstacles as they run their race. This evening we hope to reflect on how we must run the Christian race. And based on Hebrews 11, we hope to see that by seeing the example of those who went before us, Hebrews 11, we are called to persevere in faith and to cast off everything that keeps us from running the race with perseverance or endurance. Everything that keeps us from fooling, from following Christ fully needs to be removed. And all this we hope to achieve as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. The title of this sermon is Running Unto Christ. And there are two subheadings. The first one, Run with Perseverance. And the second one, Behold the finish line. Behold the finish line. Let us begin by taking a look at run with perseverance, as we find in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. There we find three things. First, the Hebrew believers were reminded that their Christian race was being witnessed by so great a cloud of witnesses. Secondly, there is an exhortation for the Hebrews to cast away either a weight, which our text calls an encumbrance, or a sin that is oppressing or 
entangling them. And thirdly, there is a second exhortation which shows that the two previous statements were intended to encourage the Hebrew believers to run the race before them with perseverance or with endurance. From this verse, we infer that for a believer to run the race with perseverance, he needs, first of all, to listen to his forerunners of faith, and secondly, he needs to remove every obstacle of his race of faith. How does a Christian listen to his forerunners of faith? Well, according to the author of Hebrews, the Christian race is not an individual act. As the believer runs the, the life of faith, there are other believers, apparently many that surround him. According to verse 1, these people are described as witnesses. That is, second after second, we run in the presence of others who observe our pilgrimage of faith. Now, who are these witnesses? Who is the team of faith? Well, because of the context, these witnesses are the ones that the author himself has been mentioning through chapter 11. There we find, and go with me please, in verse 4 we will find Abel. Verse 5, Enoch. Verse 6, Noah. Verse 8, Abraham. Verse 11, Sarah. Isaac. Verse 20, Jacob. Verse 21, Joseph. Verse 22, and Moses. Verse 23, and so on. Let us remember that the epistle is written for people who share a Jewish heritage, as we saw this morning. Therefore, it is common that all these figures or characters are very important people in the history of Israel, the nation of Israel. The author's purpose in mentioning this list of names is then to remind the believers that these people are watching in a figurative way our race as if they were standing from stands, as if they were beholding some a competition and we are the ones who partake in that competition. However, in the Christian race, not only do they watch us, but we also watch to them. We observe their faith, as Hebrews 11 verse 1 says. We observe that they hoped for and waited on what they did not see, but they did it with certainty and conviction. They were willing to go through hardships for their faith. As we read verses 32 through 34, and what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, and on and on. 
The way in which we interact with these witnesses is, of course, by reading the Scriptures. Through reading the Bible or listening to the Bible while it is preached, our faith is strengthened. When we look at different situations that our forefathers in the faith had to face, we gain courage, we gain patience, and we gain hope. Also, we thank God that the scriptures are realistic. They do not hide the shortcomings of human nature. There are characters in the scriptures that are not too far from us. They had doubts. They hesitated. They were depressed. They grew weary in their race of faith. But we are also thankful that there were victorious testimonies such as those of Joseph, Daniel, and Samuel. But regardless of their testimony of faith, as we saw this morning, what is vindicated is the faithfulness of their God, of their covenant God. And yet, while we study their lives, we feel identified with their fears, with sometimes the experiences that they go through in their Christian race. So, dear congregation, one of the ways in which we can persevere in our race of faith is by listening to the team of faith, listening to those who have gone before us. However, that is not all we must do in order to persevere. We must also remove everything that hinders or encumbers us as well. We need to remove that which keeps us from running the Christian race. In the first exhortation, in verse 1, there are two things that the Hebrew believers must set aside. First, they need to set aside every weight or encumbrance. And secondly, they also need to set aside the sin that besets them or that entangles them, that makes them stumble as they try to run the Christian race. Just as a high-performance athlete does not compete carrying an unnecessary weight on his shoulders, so the Christian must get rid of everything that prevents him from running the race fully. We need to get rid of the things that keep us from running, from following Christ fully. And regarding the word encumbrance, the Greek term refers to a bulky mass that has an oppressive connotation. Children, have you read The Pilgrim's Progress? would like to think that you have. And then when you see Christian having a sack or a bulk on his back, that is the idea that we find in this verse. Christians are not called to run while bearing this weight. This weight was removed by the forgiveness that he received when Christian finally have a sight at the cross, a saving sight at the cross, but at the same time as believers, we must not run holding things like that in our shoulders. And when you pay attention or when you think about the common description 
that the scriptures use for a believer, like that of a sheep. When we think about a sheep, a sheep is not a load animal, is not a pack animal. A horse, for example, a donkey or a bull are strong animals that can bear a lot of weight. They are really strong, but a sheep is a very weak animal on the contrary. A sheep is an animal that is easily frightened, is weak, is dependent. Brothers and sisters, if any of you have been oppressed either by affliction or by the suffering of a loved one or by a similar reason, then we know what we have to do. We have to go before the Lord. Come to me, all, that ye, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, not, not necessarily sin always keeps us from running. Pain, affliction, different feelings or circumstances can also be oppressive to us and can keep us from running the Christian race with freedom. The Christians should diligently heed the words of Jesus when he invites all of us who are weary and burdened to come to him because he will give us rest. Let us go before the Lord and find true rest. Brethren, let us lay aside every burden that hinders us from running freely in Christianity. Again, not every time we are hindered in our race we are so because of sin, pain, suffering, and other experiences or circumstances can also keep us from doing that. As for sin, however, there are several reasons why the believer needs to set sin aside, as we find in our text. For instance, believers are called to obey the law of God. And we have to obey it. So we need to set sin aside from us because sin is a transgression of the law. Also, if we live in light of the holiness of God, we cannot sin as we find in the scriptures. Also, if we sin, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. So there are many reasons that we find in the scriptures why we cannot sin in our Christian Race. Additional reasons might be the spiritual destruction that sin may bring to our own lives and the lives of the beloved ones around us. Sin keeps us from running because it holds us back. Among the reasons why sin does this, we will examine in particular the guilt that sin produces in the consciences of believers. One commentator said, for example, Thomas Watson, a Puritan, Guilt is one of the most powerful restraining forces on the human spirit. And Watson said, Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that they may not fly to the throne of grace. Whenever we fall into sin, the shame, the guilt that we feel, keep us from looking for the Lord's face, even to ask for his forgiveness, even to confess that sin. So sin really paralyzes 
our spirits and keeps us from running the race. The guilt that sin produces keeps us from exercising any spiritual discipline. The thought that God might be angry at us or that we have failed to the beloved person of Christ or that we have grieved the Holy Spirit literally paralyzes our spirits. If a Christian is not truly free with respect to sin, he will never take off the ground, so to say, in his Christian race. And by truly here, it is not meant fully. John 8.36 says, So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. So there is true freedom for the Christian regarding his sin. But yet Romans 7 speaks of an ongoing battle with our remaining, our indwelling sin. However, when a believer practices sin or commits sin continually, then the conversation is different and self-examination needs to take place. If the Christian does not actively mortify his sin and vivify his spirit, then he will not be able to persevere in his communion with the Lord. And therefore, his walking will be a very weak and troublesome one. Much less will he be able to run. Congregation, many of our unbelieving friends or some of, our, or some of our unconverted family members, they may not understand what we are speaking about here. Unbelieving friends or unbelieving relatives, they might not understand anything about the struggle that we have against our own sin. They may not understand the effort that a believer constantly puts forth to present himself as pleasing before God. The world around us does not see sin as something evil. They celebrate it. Our world constantly says to us, Oh, don't be so radical. Everybody else does it. Don't be so fanatical. It does not make a big difference if you do this or that. Well, congregation, dear brother, dear sister, if that happens to you, then remember that around us there is such a great cloud of witnesses encouraging us to persevere in the Christian race. Because of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are in a heavenly and most worthy Christian race. And as you run, you see Abel. And Abel is on the stands. And he is shouting to you, run. And run in such a way that your life is an offering of thanksgiving to the Lord. And then you see Enoch. And Enoch is shouting to you, run. But run in such a way that you always are close to the Lord. And then you see Noah also on the stands telling you, run. 
run and announce to the world that there is judgment coming for those who reject the law of God and his gospel. And you also see Abraham. And Abraham is telling you, run and run, even though you have to wait and wait upon the Lord. And there is also Moses. And Moses says to you, don't enjoy of the delights of this world, even if you have to suffer with the people of God. And finally, every one of them will say to you, fix your eyes in Christ as you run this holy race. Lift up your eyes and behold, Christ is not only running next to you, He is waiting for you at the finish line. Run, brother and sister, run and lift up your eyes and behold, Christ is waiting for you. He will meet you in the finish line and He will give you rest from all the struggles that we face in our Christian race. There is victory, yes, but there is a struggle that we need to face and as believers, and as we see in Hebrews 11, we must run with perseverance, with endurance. And the key to doing this, again, is lift up our eyes and see and behold Christ. Because He is waiting for us. Yes, again, He is running with us. But He is waiting for us in the finish line. So fix your eyes on Jesus. That way you will be able to run with perseverance. And that we move, thus we move to our second subheading. We need to behold the finish line as we find in verse 2. The importance of the first sentence of verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, is very high. What the author is saying is that in the worship that took place in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple, all the shedding of blood pointed to Jesus Christ. All the sacrificial, Hebrews 4 and 10, and priestly, Hebrews, 11, Hebrews 7, all these laws dispensed in the old covenant had their consummation in Jesus Christ, the author of the new covenant, the mediator of the new covenant. In summary, Hebrews portrays Jesus as the captain, as the content, and as the consummator of faith. This leads us to understand that Christianity is not a race under the law. It is a race under the grace. One is a partaker with Christ, not because there is any merit in the believer, but because so it pleased the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the use of the, use of the law is something much debated within Christianity. But in reality, there is clarity with respect to it. For, Mat for Martin Luther, the law had a convicting character. 
And he was right because as Galatians 3.24 says, the law was the tutor or the teacher that led us to Christ in convincing us from our sin and our unrighteousness. Without the law, we would not have understood that we were sinners before God. The law closes all the roads so that there is only one left. And that road left is Jesus Christ, the arms of the loving Christ. Now the type of laws that the author of Hebrews is referring to are the priestly and ceremonial or sacrificial laws. Many Christian Hebrews, again, were renouncing to Christianity. They were giving up on, the, on their Christian race because, again, they were being persecuted. They were being afflicted. That is this strong emphasis in Hebrews against apostasy. In our case, we understand that Christ is the author and the finisher of faith. That is, he fulfilled all the requirements and all the conditions that the law was requesting in the covenant of works. And he has now been appointed the mediator of the new covenant. Christ had the perfect obedience that none of us could ever have. Christ fulfilled all the laws of God to perfection. Christ is the slain lamb of God who shed the blood that the transgression of the old covenant of works required. In the second part of verse 2, we are shown that Jesus' motives for going to the cross was a joy, a joy that was set before him. Some commentators say that this joy came from seeing that after finishing his work, Christ would sit in his resurrected human body at the right hand of God forever, as we find at the end of verse 2. This will indeed happen but what commentators debate about is if this was the reason why Christ went to the cross with joy. Others say that his joy was the product of, or the result of having brought many sons to glory. What is certain is that, as it says in Isaiah 53:11, he shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities seemingly the second interpretation is the most correct after christ knew that the fruit of his soul's affliction would be a multitude of souls Enjoying him in glory, he suffered the cross. Surely, it was this same knowledge that led him to stand firm in Gethsemane, which for many was and will be the most critical moment, humanly speaking, in human history. There is the Son, and when he saw all the wrath of the Father coming toward him, on account of the sin of his people, he felt fear 
again in his humanity. Thus, Christ is the object of our faith. And therefore, our eyes need to be fixed on him. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the author and finisher of faith. It is to him that the Christians run. He is the goal of the Christian race. It is he who awaits for us when we finish our passage through this earthly life. It is he, again, who awaits for us in the finish line. There our Savior will be, and we will enjoy him forever. Once we die, we will be welcomed by him. This is faith, the certainty of him who awaits for us, and the conviction of him whom our eyes have not seen, only through his word. Their faith will be consummated. Faith will be no more, since we will be able to see him face to face. And yet, in the meantime, while we are here on earth, our eyes must be fixed on him. If we analyze Hebrews chapter 11 in relation to the verb see, we will realize its importance in the subject of faith. At the end of verse 1, again, faith is the conviction of the unseen. At the end of verse 3, so that what is seen, the world, was made out of things which are not visible. In verse 7, we see a beautiful phrase in chapter 11. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. However, the phrase that better summarizes seeing in Hebrews chapter 11 is the description of Moses, as we find that in verses 24 through 27. What is it? By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Verse 25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Verse 26, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. In other versions, it is translated, for he endured as seeing the invisible one. His eyes were fixed on Christ. The heroes of faith had the opportunity to see great deeds of God. They saw great manifestations of the power of the Lord. They saw a shadow of what Christ will be, but they did not see they did not have the privilege that you and I have today of seeing Christ the way we have him in his word.
congregation, fix your eyes in Christ. Fix them on Christ. Again, set your eyes on the things above, as Colossians 3 says. One person said to me recently, don't run looking to the ground. Run looking up where Christ is at the right hand of the Father. To sum up, then let us read the scriptures with eyes of faith. Let us seek the illumination of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we open them and we will find all the treasures that will strengthen and enrich our faith. Also, study God. Study the character of God as revealed in the scriptures. Study Christ. Study the Holy Spirit. Study a Bible character. Learn. Learn from the scriptures. Grow in faith. As you see these testimonies, these wonderful testimonies, your faith will be strengthened. You will be able to endure the things that the providential hand of God may bring before you. Likewise, Christianity is a race that teaches us how important the decisions that we make are. Daily, on a daily basis, our lives swing like a pendulum between, between two sides. Every decision that we make either moves us closer to Jesus or perhaps brings us away from Him. Christianity is a race that gives no rest and this will not end until we draw our last breath. Finally, unbelieving friends among us, you need to get rid of your dead weight, just as Christian had to do in the pilgrim's progress. Unbelieving friends, if any, among us. Go to Christ. If you are haunted by the guilt of a sin that you have committed, if you think you did something that is unforgivable, if guilt oppresses you to the point that you cannot even take one step in the Christian race, again, if you are haunted by guilt, by shame, by fear, then go to Christ and beg for His forgiveness. You can leave the eternal judgment of your sin on the cross. By faith, that burden of yours can be received by Christ at the cross and He can exchange your shame and your guilt for His perfect obedience to the Father. Go to Christ. Go and confess whatever you have done, even your unwillingness to believe and to submit yourself to His kingship. Go and confess your sin. Christ is a very able and very willing Savior. Go. Go to Christ. He will exchange your impurity by His holiness. Also, if you are a child of God and you are burdened with guilt, 
then go to the Lord and make things right with him. Don't let another minute go by. The quote I read from you, or I read to you from Thomas Watson, the one that said, Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that they may not fly to the throne of grace. This quote doesn't finish there. It goes like this. Guilt clips the wings of prayer so that they cannot fly to the throne of grace. But forgiveness, but forgiveness makes them grow again. So the forgiveness of Christ can make the wings of your prayers to grow again so that they may fly and reach the throne of grace. Let us listen to the witnesses around us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that entangles us and let us fix our eyes on Christ. Let us run to Him. We will meet Him one day and then the race will be just a memory that we will have in eternity of the great redemption that the Lord accomplished and graciously applied to us. Amen. Dear God of heaven, holy, holy, holy and majestic Lord, have mercy upon us and forgive our shortcomings, forgive our sins. Forgive us for each time that we leave the race and get entertained or entangled with the things of this world. Please, Lord, bring us back to the race immediately after our desires or struggles to leave the race can win in our hearts. And please keep always our eyes fixed on Christ. Lord, restore those who left the race among us. Please consider bringing new runners into this holy race. And most of it, please consider bringing glory, glory and honor to Christ as we run beholding Him and being sustained by Him. We pray this and we trust in the ministry of your Holy Spirit to use the word that we have heard in our lives. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Now, congregation, in response to the word that we just heard, let us sing Psalter 544 from the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lead on, O King Eternal.
God sends us with his blessing to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, the God whom we adore, be glory as it was, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen.